This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. What is up, everybody? My name is James D. Fiore, and this is Blackballed. My former co-host at the Dean Blundell Show, Mr. Lachlan Cross, told me about a year ago that I should interview everyone who's been canceled. Um, and I had thought of stuff like that before, but I was, I was glad to hear someone else say it unprompted because the whole idea of getting to know people is to listen to them talk. And somewhere journalism turned into a weird activist community where to earn your bones amongst the accepted you know, professionals in the trade, you needed to attack your guest on social issues. Uh, the most memorable one that I can think of is when uh, John Gomeshi's lawyer, Marie Hanin, went and was interviewed by Peter Mansbridge. Um, and he's been around long enough to hopefully know that this was a, like, eh. in the middle of the interview, he just decides, now let's, let's go see what, what randos have to say via tweet. And I thought it was weak because, you know, if you're a journalist, why are you getting questions from other people other than to get clicks and stuff? But then the question, I was just floored. He said, uh, you know, whatever, surfer dude 69 or whatever it was, wants to know how it feels to carry water for a rapist. And isn't that anti-woman? And Marie Neen, bless her heart, because she's the hottest woman on the planet, just looked at him like he was just the biggest fucking idiot which I also thought was hot. <laughs> she can look at me like that anytime. Um, and it was just a bastardization of this whole thing. But Lachlan was right. Um, the, the people that I want to interview here, not solely people that have been canceled, but people who have had their run-ins with, you know, uh, the established cultural norms that we've just seen come in in the last decade. She's the former founder, or she's the founder of The Feminist Current, and her and she's got a new podcast now, and it is called "The Same Drugs with Megan Murphy." Please welcome my guest today, Miss Megan Murphy. Megan, hi. Hi. <laughs> how are you? Good. How are you? That was a nervous high. I have a like little bit of streaming paranoia. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, am sure? I gonna? Is my face gonna show up and be frozen? No, it's oh. it's, it's internet connectivity paranoia oh, yeah. because Mexico can be unreliable, as we encountered. Do you do shrooms? Just curious. No. Well, yeah. I have, but I don't yeah. like them. I don't like hallucinogenics. Um, oh, or... I must like your life then, because I love. <laughs> I, I I do really like my life, but I also think that I mean I've done I did mushrooms several times when I was sort of younger. You know, probably like in my early twenties, maybe a little bit before that, and 
I don't like the the lack of control. I feel like it doesn't it makes me like stressed out and paranoid rather than like relaxed. I don't like the feeling of being high. I mean, it was just really behind that though. Uh, and it's a pretty good one. So I go to outer space roughly once a month. I take six grams of shrooms and I have a blast. Um, but when I was young, I did shrooms a little, not a lot, I guess. I did them, a, you know, like 20 times or something like that while between 15 and 22 or something. And it was a totally different experience. And it wasn't me that made this up, actually. Some guy told me this. Um, but he, you know, he was a shroom guy. He was a, he was a scientist, worked at a university in Florida. And he said to me, he goes, if you, if I gave you three uh, grams of shrooms right now, and while we were, while you were eating them, I was going, yeah, man, listen, you got to be careful. You know, you don't want to get too high because if you do it, he's like, you're going to have a bad trip. And, and it's totally true. I do six grams of shrooms alone and I, I'm not out of control. I don't block out or anything like that. When it gets potent, I'm like, yes. And so the potency doesn't make me feel bad. And I am doing this only to groom you to become a shrooms user. Now that no. you're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried for too long and too many times. I mean, I smoked weed for so many years trying to enjoy it. And eventually, because like as everybody else I know smokes weed. I'm from Vancouver. That's hmm. everybody smokes weed. It's not like a thing. You guys are like 2% weed. It's like in the DNA. Yeah. And it's just everywhere. It doesn't even like, I don't even think of it as a drug and I like the smell of it and I like the process of it, but I don't, it doesn't make me feel, it makes me feel antisocial, tired and lazy, which I don't like. Cause I would like to be either productive or social. It sounds um, like a HuffPost journalist. Tired, a what? Oh yeah. Huff. Yeah. <laughs> And then, yeah, I don't, I, I don't, I really don't enjoy the, the feeling of being high, which is weird because I like doing drugs, but it's just a very specific kind of drugs that I like to do. But I, I don't also like love that ecstasy is really good. I do. I agree with you on that. I don't love ecstasy either. I did MDMA speed ecstasy. Like I've done those drugs so many times to where, where I got to a point where I was like, I don't actually enjoy this. <laughs> Why do I keep like, it's because everybody else loves it so much. And I'm like, okay, sure. Try this, try this, try this. And then eventually it was like, Nope, I only like getting drunk and staying awake all night. That's my drug. Well, choice. you need something to stay awake. <laughs> are you just doing Red Bulls and vodka all night long? Like, I mean, you know. No, not Red Bulls. Those are unhealthy. Yes. And you can't snort it. It's weird. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So I, I wanted to bring people up to speed a little bit. So we're going to go over the, the, the sort of uh, Megan Murphy template because mm -hmm. there's so many things. Like, it could be a movie, it really could. Um, I don't know if you knew this or not. You probably didn't. I, I, I still don't really have much of a, a large Twitter following, but I, I certainly didn't back in, I think it was 20, was it 2018 you got banned? Yeah. So I think that the person calling herself Jessica Yaniv is trans. I think his name is Jonathan Yaniv. And I think that what we saw in that specific case, which is why it was so ridiculous and ironic and all those things, is because this person had a track record of preying on women by pretending his identity was something that it wasn't. The, the example that I'm thinking of from recall is a band manager or something. And so, and with all of the things the, the, where he forced women to be uncomfortable to wax his genitalia and all that kind of stuff, I was operating from a theory that I don't know if it's true, but I would bet my life on it, that 
he co-opted the trans identity in order to continue to prey on women. And if ever there was an exception to the ridiculously draconian rule of not being able to say a name that once existed, it is that case. And that is the, is the one that got you banned from Twitter. Can you tell me how the process was and, and where did you make these statements and, you know, and just sort of got us through? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you that Yenny was just using the, the trans identity to uh, prey, predate on women. Um, he had a long history of this kind of grift. Um, you know, he would go to all sorts of businesses. Like he would like order a pizza and say, my pizza showed up and it was the wrong pizza. It was all messed up. Now you owe me free pizzas for life. So he just decided to, you know, try this. I think he was trying to set these women up to extort money out of them. So he mm. was going to ask for a Brazilian bikini wax. They were going to say no because he's a man. And he was going to say, you're discriminating against me because I'm trans. I'm actually a woman. Ha. Huh? Like, if you don't pay me X amount of money, I'm taking you to court, which he did do. Mm, um, I, know. I do. I do want to also say that I don't believe that there is such a thing as a trans person. I don't believe that there is a trans identity. I think that that doesn't. It's just not a coherent concept. I think there's people who maybe there's men who wish they were women. Um, there's definitely men who are turned on at the idea of being women. So they cross dress and then sometimes that leads them to want to um, go towards more extreme methods to transition like surgery and hormones. Um, I think some people experience some form of like body dysmorphia that's referred to as gender dysphoria sometimes where they have like this really, really strong feeling that this is not their body and they should have a different body. But all that aside, can um, I just say happened? that I, I like to I like the idea of being carried to bed. Just saying the juxtaposition. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, the Twitter ban. I mean, what what happened was that a blogger had found out Yanim's identity as it was being protected in the media. There was a a media ban on saying his full name. So he was being referred to as JY in the media, but he wasn't anonymous. He still had all these public social media accounts. Like he had a public Twitter account, a public Facebook account with his male face on there. Some of the accounts had uh, Jessica slash Jonathan, and some of them just had Jonathan. There was no public record of him as a Jessica Yaniv. It was Jonathan Yaniv everywhere. He wasn't referring to himself as a woman. He just decided to use this as an excuse essentially. So a blogger discovered his real identity and I posted the link to the blog and was like, uh, is it true that Yaniv is this person? And did then, you use the J word in that tweet? The J word being Jonathan? Like it was it. I think so. Okay. Cause after I, you did that, um, I, I posted a ton of stuff. Like I, I posted a blog piece that was a picture of him and it was like, my name is Jonathan Yaniv. <laughs> like, I was just like trying to see. And Jonathan Kay and I kind of thought or at least theorized that Twitter was really mostly targeting women who were speaking out. We yeah. don't know why, but it felt like that. It felt like all the people that got banned or suspended were women. I'm sitting here literally, and it could honestly just be because the algorithm wasn't picking up my account because I only had a few thousand followers or something. But, you know, I'm waving a neon sign dead naming a person who I don't think I'm dead naming because I don't think he's actually trans. 
and nothing. <laughs> so there were a lot of men with much bigger profiles than me who said the same things that I said, including Ben Shapiro, who mm. weren't banned. Um, I was banned because I was specifically being targeted internally. And I know this because all of a sudden my account was getting reported over and over and over again. So Didn't one he, of you tried to take credit for that too. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He said, I personally take credit for Megan Murphy's banning from Twitter. Um, but, but before I referred to Yaniv as he in the final tweet that banned that I was, you know, permanently suspended for, which was, yeah, it's him. And it had a screenshot of a public like Yelp review that Yaniv had left saying like, so-and-so did a great job on my Brazilian bikini wax. This is all public stuff. Like this is yeah. not difficult stuff to find anywhere. He was all over the internet publicly with his face and name all over the place. Um, he sounds then, like a fetishist, right? He's yeah, not, he's yeah. a he's a fetishist. He's obviously super mentally ill, and there's there's he was predating on young girls, and he was trying to extort uh, money out of these marginalized estheticians who were all you know English as a second language um, and immigrants um, who were freaked out and didn't want to be dragged through a Canadian court process when they didn't have the means or the resources to really defend themselves. Um, but, uh, you know, leading up to that, I was first suspended for saying men aren't women, though, not in reference to anybody in particular, just as part of a conversation. Men aren't women, though, suspended. Then I they made me delete that tweet. I came back. Um, and the other one that I was suspended for was asking the question, what's the difference between a trans woman and a man? which I've asked many times and lots of people ask, and it's a justifiable question, you know, like it's not a, I wasn't attacking somebody specifically. I was asking, you know, like what's the process here? Like if a man, if you're a man today and tomorrow you say, I'm a trans woman, what's the difference? What's the difference between you yesterday and you today? Nothing. It's just an announcement. You're just saying this word and now all of a sudden what? You're a whole different human being. You're a whole different sex. Um, yeah, so I don't know. That's what I was permanently banned for. Yeah. And uh, I mean, okay. I, I want to, preface this by saying that um i don't know what we are looking at um i don't know if I, I don't even it's difficult sometimes to even define trans person because it went from a biological mental opposite anomaly thing to like you just said like you could just announce it um but i but the infallibility quotient here is 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 what i find bizarre and and that's what made them feel like they should ban you if they spent 10 minutes looking at the person that you were quote unquote targeting, um, actually they probably still would have banned you. That is the, the whole crux of everything. Actually. I have never seen, except when activists and issues become really popular an infallibility spell kind of like drapes over top of them and protects them where, you know, for the first time in human history, human beings don't lie about one topic only. And that's whether or not they are trans and people's mm -hmm. reflexes to get really angry at that. But personally, I'm not saying that trans people don't exist. I, I, I am saying that um, I, I'm saying that's almost not relevant to what I'm really talking about, which is it is so unbelievably easy in several mostly um, Western nations to co-opt that identity in order to prey on women. And it's happened over and over and over again. Because the infallibility cloak is on them and whatever they say um, needs to be followed or you are a bigot of some sort. 
that's an yeah i mean i think that men use the trans identity all the time to access women's spaces and predate on women and girls and to get out of being accountable for their behavior their crimes their abuse or whatever just like shitty shady behavior they're guilty of um but i do like i mean i just i don't know what a trans person is and the trans activist community has never been able to tell me. So those are the kinds of questions that I was asking pre-ban. Like, what? who are we talking here? Who is this group of people? How are we defining them? And that's phobic, just to ask those questions. You know, the thing, what I was banned for, I wasn't, you know, the, the, the last question that I was permanently, or the last statement that I was permanently banned for, um, I suppose they could claim that was misgendering, but you know, he was publicly a male and a he and a Jonathan when I said that. So I don't think that flies yeah. either way, but you know, they, they used, like, yeah, exactly. He was messaging, uh, minor girls and, um, and was obviously, a, a sketchy, dangerous, mentally ill grifter. But, you know, they, they use this kind of three strikes and you're out rule, which I didn't know existed at the time. Um, I was never told that by Twitter um, and I couldn't find it in the rules. I couldn't, you know, they never told me what rule I broke ever. I just was left to guess. They said, you know, hateful conduct, but they you broke, broke the rules. Like, which rule? What? Like, how do I avoid breaking this rule if you won't tell me what rule I'm breaking? Yeah. I'm, you know. But it, it was ambiguous on purpose, wasn't it? Of course. It, yeah. it really what happened. And I just cannot wait until the revealed Twitter files get to me or the, the banning of gender critical women. Um, because I know that it was just internal targeting. I know that they either there was an, a trans activist there behind the scenes who wanted to get rid of me or they the people who were in charge of safety, moderating, et cetera, were connected to trans activists and those people were pressuring them or, yeah, straight up, they just didn't like what I was saying at Twitter and they decided to get rid of me and they didn't feel they, they you know, they think they're untouchable. This whole Elon takeover is so enjoyable. It's like the best revenge fantasy come true because these people <laughs> thought that their power was permanent and it's not. Yeah, I kind of enjoyed it too from that perspective because, you know, it was... It, 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 it was getting a little Orwellian. And it's funny how they always hide behind the, the righteousness position. Like, we hate racism. I don't know why anyone would take a position opposite to that. And it's just like, that, no one's doing that. Like, you know what I mean? We're, you think we're the rest of to, us love racism? <laughs> like, I, Democrat, not Democrats, I shouldn't say that. Um, hardcore progressives um, evolved into a 1980s Republican in the sense that they want to ban things. You know, like like in the 80s, it was the, the Republicans. Oh, and Al Gore's wife was in, in late 80s, I think it was, uh, trying to ban hip hop because it was, you know, graphic, graphic lyrics and all that stuff. Right, right. And, and, the, and, you know, the progressives inside the United States at the time was just like, it's free speech because it's a Berkeley bedrock issue, free speech, not a right wing keyword. And, you know, and they were ridiculed. Like on, on national media in the United States, they were ridiculed for this censorship thing. And then Twitter was like, we need to build an interface based on the mind of Tipper Gore, <laughs> but change hip hop to words of any kind that criticizes these group or this group, this group and that group. And I don't know why anyone thought that that was going to be make for a robust social networking experience. 
I don't know why they thought that would make for a robust social networking experience because it doesn't. It made Twitter so boring and unpleasant. And I feel like Twitter is so fun now <laughs> because the boring, the boring, fake, mad, all the time, faux, serious people, hmm. um, a lot of them fled <laughs> because they were they were afraid of all the free speech that was going to happen to them <laughs> like, right they were going to be exposed maybe maybe i mean they don't have to be exposed to anyone they get they're free to block whoever they want so the threat uh, is is very unreal <laughs> um but they were afraid that they were going to be exposed to opinions that they didn't like and really what i think is that they were just pissy that they didn't have control over the platform anymore and they, so they pretended like there was going to be some dangerous like nazi racism transphobe influx um and they were all going to be attacked and it, it's just hilarious because it's like you know who's being like harassed and attacked and threatened and censored in silence it's women like me who criticize gender identity ideology it's not people who support trans activism that's like the mainstream accepted narrative promoted by you know big tech, big pharma, MSM, like mainstream media, sorry, the Democrats. Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, I'm that's just not a dangerous opinion media. to have. Just, oh, just no, happy you I've didn't never say said that media. I was like, how fake is it? Let's find out. Uh, <laughs> I'm in Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. With that, Listen, even if you and I disagree on like um, what our opinion happens to be on how biology and our emotions and our brings interpret our bodies and all that kind of stuff i find it really interesting I, I mean i have no dog in the fight to say hey you don't feel that way i had karina khan on um not too long ago she's a trans woman and an activist and she's like i know that no matter what i do no matter how i look and this and that that i will never be a woman but this is how i feel and i'm expressing how i feel and i'm like yeah like i, I don't understand how um how we got to a point where we had to like make it on par with race or something. Like I was just like, Oh, okay. Um, why are we doing that? And then in order to get there, we had to invent an idea that women have penises. And it's just like, this is such a silly way to do this. And I always thought, why don't we just say there are men, there are women, there are trans women and trans men. And and if we, if we get into one of these situations, and this happens all the time, you know how remarkable and coincidental it must be to know that these men that claim to be women often do so at their sentencing hearings for being rapists? <laughs> like that. Yeah, all of a and sudden, the sudden these sitting like, there going, okay. violent, dangerous men who are guilty of things like murder and like child rape are all of a sudden women. They need to be transferred over to the women's prison. That's what I'm that's what I always thought that's what's anti-women about it and it's in no way anti-trans because if we in this car in this conversation if you and I agree with my position which is that I think trans people exist and whatever I, I think that the argument that hey you know what they're doing to the trans community they're co-opting the trans identity and then doing heinous shit and that's bad that's damaging to trans people why can't they just make that argument I don't, I don't well trans activism has damaged trans activism and people who are trans i mean again i don't i don't think that this is a, a valid category but i do think that like what what would be better and what would have been a better strategy which is what you know feminists have advocated for a long time would be to say like you can be whoever you want in that you can express yourself how you like as long as it's not criminal 
um, as long as you know you're not like naked or doing sexual things out in public and especially not around kids. Um, you know, like if you're a man and you want to wear women's clothing and makeup, that's fine. That's fine. And, you know, people you. should be accepting. Go for it. Go for it. You know, people uh, should be accepting of both men and women who um, don't conform to traditional gender roles. You know, like I, I love like, thank God for feminism because I don't feel pressure to be feminine all the time. You know, there's feminine aspects of me. There's masculine aspects of me. Like I'm me. I'm Megan. That's who I am. And mm. that's what everybody should have. Um, I don't think we need a trans category. If you are an adult and you want to get cosmetic surgery, then I suppose you can go ahead. But, you know, the, the issue around that, I think, is that surgeons, these these surgeons who are doing trans surgeries really sell a lie to these men and women. Um, and I think it's quite sad. These surgeries are still experimental. They're dangerous. They often don't stick. They often result in like a lifetime of, you know, pain and, and, you know, the surgeries are sometimes rejected, for example, when, when women desire to have, you know, phalloplasty penises, they're oh. not real penises attached to their body. It's often rejected. Don't um, ever use the clinical term again. I don't even know what you said. <laughs> they got, they, got they get that's, infected. That's, yeah. Like yeah. these surgeries are quite dangerous and, and they're sold this idea that like if you get these surgeries if you go on these hormones then people will think that you're the opposite sex like you'll you'll literally be a woman now there's you a man you get all these surgeries you take these hormones you'll literally be female and people will think you're female and for most of these men that's not the case you know most of them they don't look like women they don't pass you know, they kind of look like, and I'm not trying to be rude, but they look like freaks and they have to live their lives as people who are wanting something that they can never have. But they were sold this lie by the trans activist community, by these doctors, by this, I think, predatory industry. And they do it to, to women, too, especially young women who are wanting to, to become men. And I think it's quite cruel. And they often end up in, in situations where they can't, you know, they can't have orgasms. They can't reproduce. You know, they can't have enjoyable sex for the rest of their lives. And they so can't, they you can't undo that. <laughs> um, I shouldn't joke. I, I, the only reason I joke though is because I want to make sure it's light because I often, the worst thing about the internet is that you can say something innocuous and people will be like, did you hear that Nazi talk last night? It was crazy. So I talk that out so that yeah. if anyone does it, they can, I can just be like, well, go to minute 12. I fucked up this. Um, but <laughs> he didn't but, let her get away with that truth. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market but because we're polarized um i'm i think polarization has been a gift for people like myself where i used to appreciate the nuance but now i appreciate so much more um and it doesn't mean that i um avoid taking a position that maybe the left the hard left or the hard right would take i would if if they aligned like that but i do enjoy the idea of mega kind of agrees with something that i agree with but i don't have to like join mega <laughs> to express myself right and um the drag queen story time thing to me is like i thought 
I thought like Ashton Kutcher's show came back and he was just <laughs> punking people because if you take out the trans part of it, if I went to my kid's school and there were two, I don't know, strippers or whatever, wearing thongs and bitch boots and like nipple tassels or whatever the fuck it was. I don't think people would be like, you know, James was angry that those women were reading stories. He is such a misogynist. I don't think that anyone would say that. And I don't want to have a lot in common with like gray haired Republicans, but I don't think it's fucking appropriate to have scantily clad people reading stories to children. And I'm wondering why anyone even thought of it in the first place. Yeah, I mean, to me, the first time I encountered this this project, I was like, but why? You know, like there was a lot of people freaking out about it and people concerned about pedophilia and these these guys predating on kids. And that was not my first reaction. My first reaction was like, why do we need this in the world? Why do kids need to be read stories by drag queens? Like, Teachers and librarians are very good at doing their jobs. They've been doing this for a long time. Kids really enjoy being read stories by regular adults. They don't need to be dressed in latex. Yeah. It's distressing. It's distracting from the compelling plot twists of well, the It's supposed to be story. distracting because it's about narcissism. It's about these men's narcissism. It's about them being like, me, 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 my identity, look at me. It's not about the kids at all. It's about like projecting what they want onto the kids. I mean, and you could argue the the guy who founded the drag queen story hour movement talks a lot about, you know, teaching kids about, you know, queer culture and queer ideology and breaking down their boundaries and challenging, you know, traditional family and things like that. Um, there is like an ideology attached to this. And I don't know that it's intentionally sinister, but it sounds sinister when you look at it and you read about it and what the impact is. Um, you know, these are kids. These the kids are taught to respect adults. Kids don't have boundaries yet. You know, they're just learning those things. So to put them in a position where they're supposed to normalize uncomfortable situations um, to not have boundaries, I think actually is dangerous. Like why do these men need to be dressed in these like, sexualized outfits reading why do kids need to pretend why does this need to be normal why are parents pretending this is normal again why do we need that this is adult entertainment like if you want to go do mm -hmm. this in a bar or a club knock yourself out like i don't enjoy this as a form of entertainment but if you want to do that that's fine but why do we need to involve kids and people will say that it's about like you know teaching them to accept but i don't think this is something that kids need to accept no, i don't see what, why what, this is important imagine tuning into the wiggles and they were wearing that shit, you know, like it would never pass on TV. It's totally they definitely wouldn't do it for TV. Right. And by the way, the Wiggles wouldn't even have to change their name. Super <laughs> drag queens, just keep the Wiggles there. But <laughs> it doesn't translate well on TV for obvious reasons. And that reason, those reasons seem more obvious in, in person. That's just me. And, and I, again, and scantily clad anything. Chippen, hey, James, you want Chippendales reading to your daughter? Fuck no, I don't, I even though they're probably gay men. I don't want them reading to my yeah. daughter. Do we need strippers and prostitutes reading stories to our kids to like make sure that strippers and prostitutes aren't stigmatized? No, this is not appropriate for children. I don't no. even want them to know that there's prostitutes. No, I, I just want them to not. have a of good little not. life without getting <laughs> politicized and everything. Like, I, you know, I, I could talk about the gender stuff for hours because it, it's, a, it's a funny like trek to try to balance that topic. Because because I'm not a medical expert, um, I mean, it does kind of feel like uh, the idea of gender dysphoria, if someone feels and they're, con they're convinced and they feel like the opposite sex, 
I feel, first of all, some sympathy because that must be a fucking frustrating way to live. And then I feel like they should be able to live their life however they want. And then I don't think penises should be in prisons. And that's it. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not like I hate them. I'm denying the fact that they ex exist as people and human beings. I'm not trying to dehumanize them. I just don't understand why it got cut. Like, to me, that's like blood type. You know, I'm typo negative, And there isn't a lot of representation of typo negative in politics. <laughs> people would be like, what are you talking about? But, you know, anyways, they, they constructed a theory and everyone believes it, it seems. And, and here we are. It's yeah, a, yeah it's, a, it's a strange world that we're living in. And it all happened so, so quickly. And all of a sudden, you know, everybody, it seems everybody, although I think it's actually a minority of people who buy into this. I think that a lot of people say they buy into it, but don't behind the scenes. They just don't want to have a yeah. conflict or be fired from their jobs or canceled from their social circles. But I don't think that most people literally believe that men can become women, but they sure do go around saying they believe it. And when oh, you have like the death. president of the United yeah. States saying things like this, I mean, this is like crazy town. They're afraid to death of, and you know this, I guarantee you're one of uh, the people like me who's been writing a long time and, and working at, uh, at outlets or freelancing for them. Um, our inboxes consistently over the last decade has received, anytime we put out a new piece, letters from people who are like, um, I just want to let you know that I agree with the things that you said, but I can't say so on social media because I'll get fired from my job. Like that I've had, it's like a template now. And I've read like so many emails from people like that. And so I, I you know, and, and I always said that the problem is, is that everyone's afraid to talk about it. And I still think that that's really the, the thing. But there is a no-win situation that people have to consider, like people that own networks, podcast networks and things like that. Like, you know, even if my politics is one thing, if I go the other direction, I'm just creating a world of problems for myself. And the focus of my website might be entertainment and not social issues. So they make that choice, right? They, they make the choice not to bother because they don't want to get canceled or whatever for that kind of thing. Um. It's strange. It's I don't know where we're gonna where we're gonna end up in ten years. I do know that in places like the UK, they're gonna be like, "Holy shit!" The last decade, like four hundred times, the women that used to rape people are raping people. That is crazy. What's going on yeah, with women? Exactly. You know, they won't have those think pieces because the answer will be right there, and they'll be like, "I just can't figure this out." Right? Like, yeah, yeah. What is um, in the water driving all these women to rape? You know what, women are not rapists men are rapists and if a trans woman rapes somebody i will bet you donuts to dollars that they lied about being a woman that's just who that's well they're all lying about being women there's no such thing as a man who is actually a woman but I, I understand what you're saying i would just like to <laughs> inform the good people at youtube that that was megan murphy saying that shit and sorry not James <laughs> one of my sorry. favorite stories that's okay one of my favorite stories that was that you were uh, involved with because uh, for the last Almost six years, I've worked uh, at, as an assistant librarian in the little hick town that I, oh, sorry, sorry, Killaloo, in the very fine town of Killaloo that I live in now. Killaloo? I, actually, I live in Killaloo, but I work in Barry's Killaloo. Bay. I don't yeah. know what those places are. You can are. just call this area white. Where is this? <laughs> it's the worst food. Um, uh, Madawaska Valley. So if you, if you <laughs> land in, in Killaloo, Barry's Bay, it takes 45 minutes to get to these places. Padawala. Pembroke, Renfrew, and Bancroft. And we're right in the middle of all those places. Oh. Yeah. So you may not have heard of any of those places, and that's fine. I think that's I've heard I of Bancroft. Mm -hmm. um, and 
so I so I'm I'm here now. I'm, I'm working at a library, and your story came up. And my uh, the the CEO who just actually retired, friend of mine, Karen, she, um, was all over this story, and she because she was looking at it from the perspective of the librarian. So the story was. This has been a value debate. The Toronto librarians has, says some good has come from the Megan Murphy controversy. The controversy was this. Megan Murphy was hired to, to do like a talk. Um, I believe I saw in an interview that you did that you that the organizers had gone through like 20 different locations before they found one that, that would do it. And people protested. And this is another odd proclivity of people on that side of arguments is um, their steadfastness in how much they believe in the righteousness of not letting people talk. And the librarian was turned out to be the hero in this just by doing her job. That's all she did. Right. Um, Megan Murphy's never been arrested for hate speech or hate crimes. You can't just ban someone who doesn't have a criminal record speaking at a library. They have to commit some sort of offense while speaking at a library in order to get banned at a library. And I, I was amazed to see um, how brave she was because in the climate that we're living in, did you ever have a chance to sit down with her or even if your views may have collided or anything? No, no, I've never talked to her or anything. But yeah, I think she was amazing. And, and yeah, I mean, all she did was she protected the library mandate, which is yeah. to protect freedom of expression. Um, she didn't say anything about agreeing or disagreeing with my position. That's not what her job is. You know, the, the organizers booked a room. They're allowed to do that. You know, members of the public are allowed to book rooms at the library to host events. And that's what they yeah. did. And I'm not guilty of hate speech. I'm not a criminal. And I mean, it was, it, that was a good thing, even though it was, it was scary because there was like 700 protesters there um, they harassed and threatened and screamed at all of the attendees. So it was scary for the attendees. You know, they barricaded themselves inside the library and wouldn't leave. Antifa was there. There was tons and tons of cops. The cops were freaked out. Um, they blocked off the entire block behind the library so that the police could escort me in with my bodyguards. Um, when I left, I like I was supposed to do media interviews when the talk was over, but the police were so freaked out. And they were like, you can't do any media interviews. We have to go now. We have to go now. They were like, do you want to put a jacket <laughs> over your head horse. when you leave? And I was like, no, <laughs> like, but, you know, it was it was a it was a really big deal in Toronto. And yeah, she I mean, she just she stood up for the library position and mm -hmm. they acted as though she was siding with me, which she wasn't, she they acted as though she was siding with transphobia, even though I didn't say anything transphobic. And it was actually good because because of the huge controversy, it actually got media attention. So members of the media actually came to the talk and listened to the talk and reported on an after and said, Megan didn't say anything controversial. She didn't say anything offensive. She didn't even say anything supposedly transphobic. I mean, there's plenty of things that I say that some people might call transphobic. I don't think they're transphobic, but I think you know what I mean. Men aren't women, yep. things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> there's no such thing as trans might be in that category. Right. But I mean, I my talk was about sticking up for women's rights and explaining why women's spaces matter and explaining why this ideology is sexist and why it's dangerous to say that you know males whether they identify as trans or whatever should be allowed to access these spaces where women and girls are vulnerable especially places like you know prisons and change rooms and transition houses and shelters 
Um, and there have been a lot of incidences where men have accessed these spaces and women have been assaulted or worse. Yeah, I was talking to, um, I always think that her name is fake. Um, Morgane Ogre, is that is that her name? Oh yeah, Mor Morgane Auger, I believe is what his name is. Auger. I know, I didn't know for a long time. It's uh, it's Ogre and everybody's, and I I thought that it was Ogre and that at a certain point, and people, sometimes people call him Ogre just because they don't like him, but I actually, I think a lot of people actually do think it's Ogre, but it's Auger. <laughs> I think we all know that Ogres are women now, so okay. we, we need to be careful. An ogre, I, well, yeah, I don't know what a female Ogre is. Um, Auger, I was, I, perhaps. I was, having like a, I was having like a Twitter war with, Twitter war, sounds so militaristic. Uh, we were chatting, right, and saying stuff. I was trying to keep it very kind of like, you know, no emotion, no like, you know, um, insulting her or anything like that and then at one point i was just like okay listen it's it's already happened the whole uh co-opting the identity getting in a prison and, and assaulting women so I, i'm just wondering if that gives you pause i said something like that and she said you know it happens at such a small percentage and i was like holy fuck i was like my my number of rapes for yeah. too many is one what's yours she's like it's not that know. much rape it's just a yeah. bit of rape i don't any yeah, this is a good th there's two um uh tells that people have in life that almost everyone has that i think that people should take note of one is the arbitrary use of an adverb if you hear someone that's trying to convince people of their case and they're like and you know it was obviously a that's a lie whatever's coming out of that is probably a lie it's just the way that it is when you're in a certain setting that's one. But the other one, um, if you find someone that's talking about the economy, they're often conservative, but if you're talking about the economy or joblessness rates or things like that, and they revert to a percentage instead of the amount, they're fucking with you. Um, mm. I asked the guy once, a, a hardcore conservative, I'm like, would you allow a company to make a trillion dollars and like be worth that much and the, the CEO be a trillionaire and all that stuff? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, he's like, you know, with those big companies, James, what you have to understand is that the margins are pretty thin. <laughs> it's a trillion dollars, dude. <laughs> you know, so there's people that just can't bring themselves to to do that. Um, and, and, and you know, like that to me is that blind spot that the infallibility cloak uh, ends up infecting people with, with, with that kind of logic where it's like, I because really what she said was, listen, in order to give trans people full rights, some women are going to just get raped and that's the price for us getting our rights. And right. it's just like, no, it isn't. Exactly. You, know, you don't have to do this. I'm, but that is what they're saying. I mean, and that's what trans activism has been. It's been sacrificing women and girls and women and girls rights and safety for the benefit of a tiny, tiny, tiny minority of men um, yeah. and endangering women and girls. And, and you're right. I mean, it's like, but none of those rapes needed to happen because there shouldn't be men in women's prisons at all. These are women yeah. who are among the most marginalized women in the country. Women yeah. in prison don't have any rights. They have no way of protecting themselves. No one is protecting them. They don't have a voice. They can't advocate for themselves. They're yes. mostly and indigenous in women yeah. are highly overrepresented. Of course, poor women are highly overrepresented. Women who've suffered from 
um, sexual assaults are overrepresented. Like most women in prison have had horrible lives and have suffered all sorts of horrible trauma, which is how they ended up in these criminal situations in the first place. You know, they're struggling with mental illness. They're struggling with addiction. They're, you know, like... This is abusive relationships. Exactly. Exactly. They've been trafficked. They've been prostituted. They've been living on the streets. It's, it's abhorrent. It is abhorrent that Justin Trudeau has allowed this to happen to any woman, but in particular, these women, women in prison. Yeah. There's a reason why you never hear officials talking about the, how the prison population might be impacted negatively because then their a couple of their sacred cows are going to start wandering beside each other on the field. They're like, get those cows away from each other. We don't know what to do, you know? And, and that's, uh, that's going to be something that we're going to have to deal with eventually. Like it, it's, it's not sustainable. We have to figure out a way how to get along and, and not have a civil war break out in the next 20 years, which I'm deathly afraid of, to be honest. Yeah, I know. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, how did you like your experience on Joe Rogan's show? It was awesome. Joe's the yeah. best. Yeah, he's he's so great. He's such a great man. He's a he's a genuinely curious, interested, humble person who wants to learn about people and learn about the world around him. Um, and I was really grateful for the opportunity the first time I went on, which was, you know, s- sort of to talk about my my case against Twitter. But of course, we talked about other things as well. And then um, when I went back on again in the summer, we sort of expanded to my leaving the left, my feelings about the left, my my feelings about feminism in retrospect, um, my leaving Canada uh my love of mexican moonshine <laughs> all sorts of other things but you know he's he's been i mean he's made a huge difference in my life i after i lost my twitter account that was a pretty big blow for an independent writer and yeah. podcaster you know that was where my audience was at that time i wasn't even using any other social media platforms really like cuz i don't really like social media that much i love twitter <laughs> But I don't really like any other social. So it's, I didn't have like a public Instagram account. I didn't have a YouTube channel. I didn't have a public Facebook account. And I didn't really want any of those things. I was like, I don't want to spend. I already am like stretched thin with the work that I'm doing, which I do all by myself. Um, but, you know, so I sort of had to start from scratch in a lot of ways. Like I had to start all these other platforms and accounts and build up from nothing. Um, and I lost a lot in losing Twitter. But then you know gain something in other ways i suppose because because that happened and it got media attention and and yeah and he just he advocated for me on the show over and over and over again he would bring me up mm-hmm. over and over and over and over again which is how sort of initially i was like let me come on i want to talk to <laughs> but i mean yeah he's he's a really good person and i just i get so angry when people say bad things about him because i feel like if more people in the world were like Joe Rogan, the world would be a better place. Well, I think people just have to relax a little bit. Um, there's a lot of people named Sparky that get all like worked up over people. Um, I, I'm a firm believer that if you have uh, people that you look up to in life, whether they're famous or not or whatever, if you agree with every single thing that everybody says, you're not really a thinker yourself. You're, you're just someone that follows what everyone else said. I loved Christopher Hitchens. He was a British journalist, yeah, uh, commentator, great. atheist, all that. 
I probably agreed. Like when brass tacks, I probably agreed with him maybe 65% of the time or something. So that's 35%, which is a lot because he spoke a fucking lot. But that, that's not really what matters. It doesn't matter to me that he agreed with the war in Iraq. I don't care. You know, in fact, he explained it so eloquently that I almost, I was like, oh, shit, maybe it isn't. No, 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 it's not. Like, it, but I but did. that's great that your yeah. own opinion and your beliefs are challenged in that way. I mean, everyone should be challenged in that way because it will either, it'll help solidify your views and your beliefs, or maybe you'll change your mind to a better position. But you know, like mm. if you aren't being challenged and you don't have to defend your own positions either to yourself or to other people, then your position is kind of guaranteed to be weak. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah. And, um, it's funny because I like this person, but Nathaniel Erskine Smith, who's a liberal MP from the beaches in Toronto. Um, it wasn't on the podcast. It was one of those Facebook live chats that he was doing. And I, I just sent him a message, Randy. Like he had been on the show already a couple of times and on Dean's show, I think once or twice. And so I sent him a message. He knows me. And the message was like, do you think JK Rowling is transphobic? <laughs> and I swear to you, his answer was as follows. And again, I like him and he's actually smart, but this is what he said. Well, I don't really know what J.K. Rowling said specifically, but I'm positive she's transphobic. <laughs> wow. That's terrible. Uh, That's terrible. But this is how so many people no. operate. I mean, this is how progressives operate. It really is. They read something that their friend said on the internet, and then that's what they base their opinion on. It's not based on what I said or what Joe Rogan said or what J.K. Rowling said. It's based on what their friend on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram said about that person. Oh, Joe Rogan's a racist. Oh, J.K. Rowling is transphobic. Megan Murphy is a right-wing bigot. That's what they are. They don't bother to look into it at all. Like They don't even seem curious. And I think it's partly because they would rather just be enraged. They would rather hate and they would rather be angry, which is such a strange thing, right? Like, do yeah. you, do you want to spend your life angry? I don't. <laughs> I, I was married. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've managed to avoid it. So I'm super oh, happy. <laughs> Look how you are now. I've never been married. <laughs> see how few wrinkles I have. <laughs> I don't see any wrinkles at all <laughs> anymore. Um, yeah, no, no, I, it, I agree. So you said you left the left when you see, Dave Rubin, do you can say? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not I a mean, fan of Dave Rubin, by the way, and I'll tell you why if you if you're curious. But go ahead. Sure, I'm curious. I mean, I never, I don't, I never followed him that closely, so I can't form any really big opinion on him. I mean, it, I, back in 2018, I remembered I liked some of the stuff that he was doing, and then I kind of stopped following, so I don't super know what he's up to now. Um, I don't know what he's up to either because he blocked me. But oops. oh, did he? Yeah. I just added him to the pile of douchebags who blocked me. Why did he block you? Uh, he blocked me because I accused him, and I accused Tim Cook of this too. And I don't think Joe Rogan has to do it, so I'm not accusing Joe Rogan of this at all. I think that people like Dave Rubin and, and Tim have realized that uh, when they look at their analytics, they understand that there are certain subjects that they can't talk about in a certain way because mega, and I, I just call him that to intentionally generalize this type of audience, are super amazing at like following you if they read a piece that you've done and it was their first introduction to you and they were like, and it happened to be a progressive criticizing some left-wing issue. They will, like I had one time I criticized the Black Lives Matter co-founder, Yusur Kogali in Toronto. 
And then David Duke retweeted, and I was like, shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and it's funny because that piece said things like, you know, there has been generational injustices to the black communities. The piece did say, like, you know, that whatever. It, it was saying the things that I believed in, and it was, it was whatever. And I said to have someone represent a group that um that embodies the type of hatred that they're trying to get white people and non-blacks to to adhere to and they're and they're as disgusting but they're targeting the right people to target then she's not going to win you any friends and, and it was basically a piece like that death threats and duke retweeting all this kind of stuff and i think tim and um and david rubin did what i uh, didn't do what i did which is the next time uh, a trump did something stupid I, I, I wrote a piece. I called him a rodeo clown. I, I kind of questioned the integrity of people who voted for him just because he didn't like abortion and, and whatever. And they would all abandon ship. So if I gained 300 followers on last Wednesday writing a piece for whoever, and then the following Wednesday wrote something critical of Trump, I would lose like two out of those 300, 200 people. Mm. And I think that it's, it, it becomes sort of like a half grift, like a semi, if you will. That um, <laughs> that that Tim, especially Tim, you know, feels like he is intentionally not saying all the things he wants to say because he doesn't want the analytics to start going down. Sure, I mean that's um, yeah, that's totally a real thing that happens, and I think that's really hard to avoid when you're in a position like we are and like they are, where they're you're you're you are dependent on your audience, and you don't want to piss off your audience. I mean. I, my strategy is to try to piss everybody off so that they know that they cannot depend on me not to piss them off. Like I, I'm serious though. I don't want them to expect me not to dependable. piss them off. Like I want to be able to say exactly what I think and people be like, okay, I know Megan says things that I hate or things that I disagree with. And I still like, I'm going to still hang in there because sometimes she says things that I do like, or I want to hear what she has to say, or I like the guests that she talks to or whatever it is. But I think I've managed, you know, like I went through this period because I mostly my work focused on feminism for a really long yeah. time, you know, for like eight years or something like that. And I had a huge feminist audience and a lot of support among feminists. And at a certain point when I started to talk more about free speech, when I started to sort of, you know, delve into other topics to talk to guests who weren't feminist or maybe even hated feminism. Um, and you know, I just became less ideological and less attached to feminist ideas and feminist mantras, more, more, much more willing to question those ideas. I lost so much of my audience. <laughs> like yeah. people started pulling their donations. They try, they try everybody. They tried so hard to cancel me. And I was like, fuck you. You can't cancel me. Yeah. Like I've been canceled so many times. Like you cannot, I don't care. Bye, go away. And I'll start over again. I'll leave me and I'll start over again a million times over. I don't want a bunch of people in my audience who are going to try to bully me and force me to say things that I don't believe or try to bully me into not asking questions that are questions I want to explore. You know, maybe I'll come to a conclusion that they support. Maybe I won't, but I want to be free to talk about these things and ask questions and to talk to whoever I want. You know, if you're going to try to control me, I don't want you. Yeah. I feel the same way most of the time. Like, I mean, there are certain topics that I, I, I don't bother with anymore. Um, and it's, you know, 
so there is a little part of me that um i guess not really self-censoring because i'm not really interested in certain topics anymore anyways but um if someone said hey do you want to do this there's a couple of things out there that i just be like no i don't know mm -hmm. like i'm not really interested in it anymore and it's not sometimes it's not worth the headache like i'm gonna get email i've already gotten a couple emails um because i had you on um you know <laughs> because you deny the existence of certain human beings and and all that kind of stuff and 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 i'm kind of like i'll talk to anyone I, and that is that that is basically the key message of this show is that i will talk to anyone i will talk to serial killers and terrorists and awful people as well as amazing people and good people and, because I just don't think it's really about my opinion of the issue that they're talking about. My job is to ask a question and let them talk. Mm -hmm. And if we can have some sort of casual impromptu conversation during that, great. Um, but why should my job be to, how dare you, sir? Like, what, why, why would I ever want to do something like that? It doesn't add to anything. You know what it does? It makes that person feel good when they go onto Twitter and they get congratulations from everyone with pink I hair. would never speak to that person. I am so much better. I am so much more ethical. I am so much more moral because I would never have a conversation with this bad person yeah. like blank did. I mean, I'm, I'm with you too. I mean, I'm interested in talking to almost everyone if they're interesting and they have integrity. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I'm interested in learning about people really. I had Christine Anderson on. She's a, a European member of parliament. Um, she was the one I don't even remember. She kind of looks like Ghislaine Maxwell. And she, uh, in March, um, went to the, I guess, the floor of the of the parliament or whatever it's called in Europe and uh, did a one minute kind of rant about Justin Trudeau being a dictator and all this kind of stuff. Um, I had her on. I, I got the usual bunch of emails saying that I, I had a Nazi on and all this stuff. She's basically the Max Bernier of Germany, if you want okay. like a comparison. And I was like, and 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 we covered a whole bunch of topics from climate change to immigration to whatever and it was a great conversation we were friendly da, da, da. and at the end i i informed her i'm like you know i disagreed with like 90 percent of what you said but it was a great conversation and she was like surprised um but at the same time she was like yeah like we didn't have to go down each other like it, it is so stupid and so i don't know crossfire from like cnn like we don't have to do it like that like and that's what's expected from journalists to be advocates i think yeah, and and that if somebody says something disagreeable that, you know, you're somehow accountable for them saying that, you know, like you're propping up their position or their opinion or their belief or their politics simply by hosting them, by platforming them, by speaking to them, you're lending them legitimacy. And I don't think that's true. I mean, the job of a journalist is to speak to, uh, you know, to get the story, <laughs> but speak to yeah. as many people as possible. Like you're not supposed to be an activist. You're not supposed to sell a narrative, certainly not a political narrative, certainly not the politically correct narrative. You're not supposed to feed people what they want to hear. You're supposed Except, to feed them the truth. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, I, I want to just uh, point out that a Pulitzer prize is often won by interviewing really awful people. You know what Gaddafi and Osama bin Laden mm. and all and Stalin. I think that one journalist and and it's you know that's because it used to be for the ideas so that we can judge a powerful or important person based on the words that come out of their mouth, which often can include a clarification um, or often ends up burying them more. Mm -hmm. But let them talk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. that's, that's the idea. Exactly. Um, I'm glad that I had you on to talk. That flew by. Uh, that hour. Um, 
you, I'm, I'm happy that uh, you're, you're back with her. Um, what are you doing right now? What are you working on? Um, well, I have a Substack, uh, Megan Murphy at Substack, um, or whatever, Substack slash Megan Murphy, sorry. <laughs> the same dregs as my channel on YouTube and my podcast. Um, so that's... I like your artwork. It's really nice. Oh, thanks. Like a friend of mine did it. orange, you know, or whatever that My friend Carrie did that. I, yeah, I like it very mm. much also. Um, also, your, I, your earrings are cultural appropriation. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> of course they are. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Megan Murphy, thank you for joining us. I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Megan Murphy, see you guys. I mean, even if you don't agree with her that um, when she said that trans people don't exist, she wasn't saying that these people are worthless and we should execute them and we should not give them rights and da da da. She's saying another nuanced argument entirely that I won't try to repeat because she already did so. And I thought she did it eloquently and I don't agree with her. So um, this is going to be a constant theme, I think, for 2023 is having a son I don't agree with. So um, and some people disagreeing with like vehemently. Um, so I think my wife is going to co-host every Friday just to make sure we maintain that uh, that new uh, genre. Uh, it's been a long day, um, but thank you for joining us on Black Belt, and we'll see you again soon. Bye. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Come on, let's go to the blue hotel. The podcast that goes everywhere the imagination dares. It's for the open-minded, the pleasure seeker. It's Jeff Woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality, theme-based with special guests, the Blue Hotel Hotline, and every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story. Get a room and listen in at the Blue Hotel. Begins Friday, September 23rd.